0: Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two,
1: one. Welcome to the inaugural Optimism Vaccine Podcast. Uh, I'm Steve Cuff, and I'm joined here by Steve Coleman. And uh, Sean Glynnis, you guys want to say hi? Hello?
2: I kind of did, but I think uh, it was as you were saying Sean Glynnis. Well.
1: That's because I like to talk over people because I'm more important than everyone else. Well, this is going well so far. Yeah, it is, you know. That's, that's what people like. They like conflict. That's, <laughs> that's how we're going to get tons and tons of people to listen to us. And, I mean, of course, we're doing a podcast because the year is 2006, so everyone is going to listen, and we're going to be wildly popular. Mm-hmm.
2: Ab and Eve's is going to be sponsoring us soon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, so one of the reasons why we're doing the podcast, the only reason that I'm here uh, actually, is because it's it's a very special week this week. And of course it's the 20th anniversary of the movie True Lies, a cinematic classic. Uh, So I've been celebrating all week. Uh, Earlier this week I took... All of the clothes in my girlfriend's closet, and I ripped off all the sleeves, and I made sure her dresses were extra short, just like Jamie Lee Curtis does in the movie before the infamous uh, hotel suite scene.
0: Did you also coerce her
1: into stripping for you? I did. did, several okay. occasions. It was, it was weird. I, I just kind of I sat in the room, and she thought like someone broke in, and then I played the tape recorder, and she still didn't get it. And y- you'd think, because I'm sure she's seen True Lies, you'd mm-hmm. think she'd catch on, but mm-hmm. who knows? And then just to add to her Jamie Lee Curtis ness, Uh, before she leaves for work every morning, I, I, I spray Mm -hmm. her in the face with the hose so she gets, like, the slick back hair. I was gonna ask, do you have, like, a flower pot that has a lot of water and then you just... (laughs) Yeah, I just, I just kind of dump that on her (laughs) a little bit. Wet her down. Uh, so yeah, that's how I've been celebrating. Of course, I watched the movie the other night. Uh, it was a very, very special time for me. Uh, Sean, have you, have you been doing anything of note? Yeah,
0: I was actually watching the film before I knew it was the 20th, um, anniversary. And I've since watched it twice. Um... And I couldn't be happier. <laughs> I couldn't be happier. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I actually I wanted to ask you guys um, how did you what was your exposure to uh, True Lies? How did you come to it?
2: Well, my uh, my dad went and saw it with his uncle, well, my, not his uncle, my <laughs> uncle, his brother. And I remember he came home. Oops. And uh, my mom was like, "Oh, how was the movie, Fred?" And he like had this really big smile on his face. 'Cause usually you just say like, oh the movie was fine, but it's like you know, it was really good. It was really, really good. And we were kinda like, Oh well that's interesting and I remember it was like the first movie he did after Last Action Hero, which was actually a pretty good movie. Um <laughs> <laughs> nice nice bit of meta fiction, but it was a gigantic flop. Yeah so people not... weren't really expecting much, I think, at the time and yeah, uh, we wound up renting it like on video a few months later, and like it became like the family's like Saturday night movie we'd all watch together. Hmm. And I think it's
1: the first time I ever saw anybody in a thong. <laughs> and what a thong it is too! Uh, which, this was actually a topic of conversation when I was watching it the other day. Uh, like the, the the late '80s, early '90s thong, where like somehow the sides are just like halfway up a rib cage. I, I don't even know <laughs> how like it, it can't be comfortable. Uh, and I don't know why they decided to do away with that. It's clearly it's a nice look. Uh, I, I I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's a weird thing. Yeah. You know
0: what else can't be comfortable? Um, stripping for a guy that you don't know is your husband, and you don't find out until after you hit him over the head with a phone, and then you're kidnapped <laughs> by terrorists. Um,
1: actually, yeah. Talk about that a little because we've danced around this a little bit. Talk about the uh, the hotel suite scene in True Lies, please. It,
0: it's it's really. Kind of creepy, um, I have a f- like overall, I really enjoy the film, but uh, one of my large gripes with it is th- how weird that scene is because um she's you know on the string, and uh, Arnold is sitting there in the chair with the tape recorder, which logistically just doesn't make sense that she would actually think it was a real voice, no. but besides that, she starts dancing and it's and it's funny because she 's clumsy. Um, and then the music starts to get loud, and and the film seems to endorse this this weird situation that's kind of frightening, as like sexual and like there's pratfalls, and it's yeah you're supposed to like I don't know enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I it, mean it, it wants to be funny and it wants to be sexy at the same time, but it's mostly just uncomfortable. I think is the best word, especially because yeah. it's Jamie Lee Curtis who, and maybe this is just because we've we've watched her in movies past uh, True Lies, but. To me, she's, she's kind of a mom-ish type actress anyways, and it's, it was just it was very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of like watching my mom take her pants off.
0: Yeah, and you like the terrorists rush in and, and sort of grab them, and it's, that's kind of funny because she thinks it's because of her and, and it's really because of him and there's this confusion, and, and, uh, but, but you can clearly tell that that happens because they just wanted to end that scene and they mm-hmm. didn't know where to go. <laughs>
1: they had no idea what to do after that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think it gets creepy too, there's, there's a point when she's done dancing where uh, Arnold plays the tape recorder with the French voice and it's like, "Lay down the bed and close your eyes, Lay down on the bed and close your eyes, and she does, and then he like rubs a rose on her face, and he gets really close to her, and then it's, I mean, and, and he kisses her, and you think, well you, you've kissed your husband at least once, and felt his arm, yeah you probably I mean I would know if Arnold Schwarzenegger was kissing me, presumably, uh, so that that part was a little odd for me.
0: Yeah, plus the lighting is weird because it's actually pretty bright, but yet the faces are covered. Yeah,
1: the faces are in shadow you know, somehow. This sort
2: of imply that they haven't had any sort of intimacy for years and
1: years and maybe. Yeah. yeah, so she she doesn't know what the touch of Arnold is like anymore. And we don't
2: know, like maybe he just like really worked out a lot while they were like kind of having this very cold period in their marriage
1: yeah
0: yeah that yeah that brings up a good point where uh the film is actually like if it was just handled better and it wasn't like creepy sexual thing going on here um it 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 serves a purpose as like um this is the only way that arnold knows how to sexually like approach her is through, like, coercing her there. Yeah,
1: using his, like, spy tactics that he's learned.
0: Yeah, and it, it, it really does add layers and add steps to um, him just not being a good husband.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just uh, wish it was better. Well, and that scene, it's kind of... The whole movie is, is very similar to the scene in, in the way that you don't know if it's serious if it's funny. Like, most Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, up to that point... And uh, Last Action Hero kind of falls in the same camp. This is when Arnold becomes self-aware, basically. Mm-hmm. Most Arnold Schwarzenegger movies are balls-out serious, except they're hilarious. Except they like twins. Yeah, but I think uh, twins came after, or is Not around the like same before. time? Before. okay. Yeah. So it's still in that same period where, okay, this is, this is Arnold kind of realizing what he is and branching yeah. out a little bit. So True Lies, instead of most Arnold movies, where they want to be serious but we laugh, Mm -hmm. Drew lies a lot of times it wants us to laugh but it has all these strange serious moments (laughs) and the tone is all over the place there's another scene uh, towards the end of the movie it's when they're doing the big bridge chase oh god and there's a couple things in there that are just really really weird to me Uh, like there's this, this hilarious scene where they shoot Stinger missiles at the bridge, and then the terrorists and the truck are like teetering on the edge, <laughs> and then a pelican lands, and they all go, "Uh oh!" And then, and and you think they're just going to fall in the ocean, whatever. But it's not just a fall into the ocean; they fall, and there's just massive fiery inferno, and you're like, "Oh, they're they're really dead." <laughs> and then a few minutes later, because there's there's a nuke, of course, because terrorists. Um, so, you know, Arnold saves the day, and he—you mean the espresso machine? Yes. The- <laughs>
0: What, is water that, <laughs> Is that a water heater? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes.
1: Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, so, he saves the
2: day. I'm glad you guys remember that. <laughs> I'm so <still> kidding. Snow cone maker. <laughs> is it <a> <laughs> so the
1: snow cone maker? So, the nuke goes off at the end, and so you have this this weird, like, he does a one-liner and he kisses his wife, and then there's just, like, a nuke that just... Blows up in the background. Yeah, and
0: he's covering his face. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. He's covering his face while they're making out. And the only reason I can think of why he was doing that is so that he wouldn't see the mushroom cloud to the left, so it would blinded no, st- by the flash. I guess or distracted and want to go like fight the terrorists again because yeah. that's his real draw in life.
1: Yeah, well and this this is the movie that asks us to to believe that Tom Arnold is a special ops agent. So <laughs>
0: which which again is is kind of a brilliant move because he's not there to do that, I think. He's he seems to be only there to help Arnold be a better husband and a better father. Mm-hmm. Like he does much more for their relationship than anything
1: on the yeah. secret ops side. Well, and, and the Tom Arnold inclusion that's really interesting because he tried out for the part And he didn't think he was going to get it because, well, he's Tom fucking Arnold. Uh, And this was during his whole, like, public blow-up where nobody really wanted to hang out with Tom Arnold. Uh, And and James Cameron fought for him. And he told the studio that he wouldn't make the movie unless they cast Tom (laughs) Arnold. So, like, that was, that was James Cameron's guy. And he actually, I, I guess he did a lot of ad-libbing. There's a point in the movie where uh, Arnold thinks that Jamie Lee Curtis is cheating on him. And Tom Arnold's talking about all his wives that have left him. He's like, my last ex-wife, she took everything in the house. I came home, it was all gone. She even took the ice cube trays. And I guess he ad-libbed that because this was his whole, like, Roseanne Barr blow-up thing. Yeah. And famously, when, when Roseanne Barr left him, she took everything, including the ice cube trays. <laughs> so
0: yeah i wondered about that because as soon as he said wife number two i was like it it didn't feel like a film anymore i just listen; it, it felt like an interview with tom yeah Marvel. i know it's like here's <laughs> tom Arnold on today's show right
1: <laughs> yeah but that... let,
0: let's get back to uh, arnold's um uh, uh his career spanning and where this falls because i think that is really interesting you brought up um last section hero mm-hmm. which i think is is i mean yeah it was a flop um but I think True Lies is doing like some similar things. Not it, you know, it's not like metafiction, but it's mm-hmm. doing some things where it's messing with form in a similar way. But it's much more subtle. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it really is where Arnold sort of like realizes where he is, and it was it was sort of a smart way to come after like you know these gigantic movies like um, mm-hmm. Terminator and Total Recall and
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh- and again, it's just he must have sat down at some point and actually watched the things that he made in the nineteen eighties. Just like holy shit, he finally watched Commando and he got it. Yeah, uh, yeah, all the stuff that he did during that era. Uh, Kindergarten Cops, another great one because it's still like Arnold as Arnold, but let's put him around a bunch of five year olds and right, see what right. happens. Yeah, and that's
0: um, I really like the fact that Tom Arnold is in this film because he and Jamie Lee Curtis are given sort of the funny lines, mm-hmm. so he doesn't have to be kindergarten cop again and just say these stupid lines. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, because most of Arnold's humor, he's, he's, his comic timing is, is awful. The only reason mm-hmm. we laugh at him is because of the, the ridiculous accent that just right, right. It sells everything beautifully. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, I actually um, came to this film through the video game when I was a kid. I, I, we rented the SNES game, And uh, I wasn't allowed to watch the movie because it was rated R, and Mm -hmm. I was quite small. But uh, the game is actually wonderful.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. It's hard as shit, but I mean, so was every game released in 1994 probably, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: I had the Genesis version. I remember that being actually quite awful. I remember hearing from people that the Super Nintendo version was that much better. I don't know what the exact differences
1: were. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've only played the Super Nintendo version. Um, it's it, you know top-down action game. I think the Genesis one's a top-down action game too. Uh, I, I just it, it was fucking difficult. I remember yeah. that like the first level I remember beating easily, and then at some point you I think it's the mall level, and the bad guys are just coming at you. Which actually fucked the game for not including a horse in the mall level because that's like <laughs> high point of the movie for me. Arnold riding a horse through a mall chasing a guy what in mean? a motorcycle.
0: Yeah, don't they include the uh, plane at the
1: end? Yeah. And the the plane level is actually ridiculous because, uh, it's, it's, it kind of breaks from the movie a little bit. So you're Arnold in the plane and you're just flying across the bridge, just like blowing everything up. So it kind of plays like, uh, the old arcade game Spy Hunter. I don't know if you've played that before, but yeah, you're just, you're just blowing up hundreds and hundreds of trucks on this bridge. Well, a little different, a little different. Uh, the other thing about that, and this is interesting because you mentioned that your, your parents wouldn't let you watch Mm -hmm. the movie, um. True Lies, the video game is bloody as shit. <laughs> like, when you kill a guy, it's it's like corpse pile of blood. There's not...
0: <laughs> Yeah, and you're actually kept accountable for just killing civilians, yeah, where yeah. Arnold, not so much in the actual no, film. No,
1: no, I, I think he took <clears> out a few. <throat> definitely took out a few.
0: Yeah, those action sequences, though, uh, it reminds me, um, watching the film again, especially, like, years down the road, uh, to me, it's, uh, the middle, the second act of the film, really struck me as far and away the 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 best part of it you know Mm -hmm. the part that has bill paxton as sleazy simon with a mustache (laughs) Um, that that whole part seemed like the the most important part of the film but yet when i was reading these old um 94 uh reviews by um critics at the time they all said that 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 second part was just like the it felt like a diversion from the action and everybody was waiting for the action and uh it seemed like Cameron specifically put these bookended action scenes, like the big mm-hmm. rooftop thing, and then the big um, Miami skyscraper thing with the airplane, just to sort of like give you what you want. But
1: yeah, I mean, as an action movie, uh, I think it's it's a lot more modern than people give it credit for. Uh, it's it's definitely it's not paced like an early '90s action movie. It's no. not paced like an Arnold movie. It's because that's I mean, that's how if you go and see a summer blockbuster, if you go see fucking Planet of the Apes tomorrow or some shit. That's how they do it. You you bookend your big mm-hmm. action scenes, and then you have all the, you know, the talkie and the feelings and all that yeah. stuff in the middle. Uh, so yeah, in, in that sense, I think it's it's definitely a very modern action movie, which is weird. I never thought I would say that about an Arnold movie. Yeah. Certainly more so than the Sixth Day or Eraser. <laughs> I was just gonna <laughs> say <laughs> it's probably his <laughs> last great <clears throat> film for sure. Yeah, I I think there's that's definitely a strong argument because I think Junior was right after that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eraser is. I never it's saw that something. One. I, I, what is? I, I wish. I wish Adam Myros, optimism vaccine <laughs> contributor Adam Myros, is there. The uh, the bad guy in Eraser has a ridiculous name. It's some like animal name or something, and Arnold just screams it the entire time.
0: But is that movie supposed to be funny at all, or is it very straight face? No,
1: it's it's not. I mean, I, I think in the opening sequence, his wife and kid are blown the fuck up. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty, you know, typical revenge stuff. You, a terrorist blows up Arnold's wife and kid, and he's gonna go kill him, and he goes to Central America or something.
0: Yeah, I just wish in True Lives the whole bridge sequence could just be taken out completely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just, just like, give me to an Arnold in a jet plane. Just fuck the bridge. Yeah. yeah Kill exactly. off a Tia Career. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, which I is the only... since Wayne's world. <laughs> How's she gonna record her new album? <laughs> yeah. Sandra! <laughs> <laughs>
0: Watching her she just it struck me as a, a very like Catherine Zeta Jones light. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, It's funny that you bring up her dying because that's sort of the only time that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis can actually do something to help the plot because she's faced up against another woman. Otherwise, she kills the terrorist by accidentally dropping a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Dropping the gun down the stairs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
2: They have a pretty brutal fight in that limo. Yeah, and and then
0: she doesn't know how to crawl into the front of the limo and hit the brakes. So Arnold has to... I don't know hang from a helicopter and grab, grab her
1: grab her arm yeah which, which is, is yeah. It's a little One goofy.
2: Of the iconic shots of that
1: film right. actually Jamie Lee Curtis did that stunt herself I read the IMDB <laughs> trivia wow she actually did that herself on her birthday no less so <laughs> oh, wow kudos yeah nice move
0: <laughs> oh uh, and before we move on uh-huh. I was going to say um, maybe we can talk a little bit about uh, how we see its influence because mm-hmm. you said it's very modern um, and some films that came to mind to me immediately were Mr. and Mrs. Smith, yeah, um, which was terrible, more or less night and day. Also Double terrible. terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, this Means War came out a few years ago. Also kind of terrible. But isn't there an Ashton
1: Kutcher? Oh uh, well, yeah, with uh, who's, Killers. who's the horrible woman? Oh,
0: yeah, Catherine Heigl. Heigl. Yeah, yeah, that's another. <laughs> I'm <game>. sorry.
1: <laughs> the horrible. Oh yeah, Catherine Heigl. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and all of those, those four, they uh put the action forward and then try to mix in some comedy and the only one that that I could think of out of these that I actually thought was successful was Date Night, which is it's the reverse. It's a comedy first and then they put action in, the but it has that same yeah. like boredom present premise.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I haven't seen that's the Steve Carell, Steve Carell one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Tina Fey. Okay, yeah. Um shit, what was I going to say? Well, that's not good for a podcast. <laughs> Um, take a swig of my drink. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me again, it just—it all comes down to the pacing for me. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, yeah. I, I love Commando more than anything else in the world. If I—that's that's my de- de- my desert island movie, which is appropriate because it has the steel drum soundtrack. So it'd be <laughs> wonderful for laying on the beach and uh, watching Commando. But uh, it's the pacing is total ass. It's just it's really really clunky because it's it's dumb action scene nothing dumb yeah. action scene nothing it's just up and down up and down there's no flow to it at all really shitty huh badass pace badass pace yeah
0: yeah there's a funny part at the, uh, at the end where Jamie Lee Curtis is like I married Rambo Mm. and it's this very like wink wink like yeah. it knows exactly what it's doing what it's I know doing. he never does this
2: but I feel like he looks at the camera a lot and winks at <laughs> a lot. even though it doesn't happen but he like, winks to
0: her
1: yeah, yeah it's, it's a very but it's you know directed towards the audience too I mm-hmm. think all, all I can think of is that the, the final line where you know, the bad guy's hanging from the, uh, the the missile and he shoots it into the helicopter right before he goes, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I, I swear to God, like, I just... I, this isn't what happens, but I just picture, like, the camera just zooming in super close. And, you're fired.
0: I, I like, uh, right before he goes and saves his daughter, uh, right after he Eliza saves... Gishu. yeah, Kishku. Yeah, yeah Gishu. Gishu, uh, Right after he saves his wife, and, uh, you know, she realizes who he is and all this stuff, and... They have that kiss where he like covers his face, and then he has to go save his daughter, and he go he just goes bye, and it's like the least romantic like, <laughs> exit possible. Yeah,
1: I always forget that Eliza Dushku is in that movie because yeah. she doesn't really look like Eliza Dushku. Mm-hmm. Uh, what well, and she's kind of interesting in the movie just because when we think of our our young female leads now, like I saw uh, Transformers uh, a couple weeks ago, and. Uh, there's some blonde woman I couldn't tell you what her name is, and she's supposed to be a sixteen-year-old kid or whatever, and she's clearly like a twenty-five-year-old, drop-dead gorgeous model. Eliza Dushku in that movie, she's—I mean, she's all like grunged out, and she looks like somebody just dragged her through the dirt. Her hair's <laughs> all disheveled, uh, you know. And I, I be like, oh, she looks like shit. Well, not really. She looks like what a kid would actually look like. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and it's, that was kind of weird because I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if, if you got a fifteen-year-old kid, clearly you got to cast a twenty-five-year-old uh, supermodel. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> got to drool over the children. And on that note,
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a um, uh, full optimism vaccine article that will be going up concurrently
1: with this yeah, that's podcast, right. which uh, I, I read the first draft of, and Sean was very upset. He didn't he didn't want me to mock him for his, his spelling errors. I didn't notice that much. I didn't, I didn't give it a close reading, but. Uh, I also think I'm a terrible editor. I do this thing where I, I omit like to and a and of all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then I'll just have, I'll, I'll reread something like five times and think it's perfect. And then somebody else will read it and be like, why the fuck did you, you you're talking like a caveman. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? But yeah, it, it, it looks good. It'll be up in probably a couple days tomorrow, a yeah. uh, day after, um, which means it'll probably it's be up teeth. the same day as this podcast. So hopefully, unless something horrible happens. Lucky listeners! Well, I know all three of you, <laughs> boy. <laughs> I wonder what the crossover appeal for this is. How many people are going to listen to this and read the article? <laughs> we actually—I I think I was telling you—we actually have a traffic boost. Something happened. Hmm. Uh, one of our our group posts. Oh, uh, uh,
0: my mom shared it um, in her Bible study.
1: Oh, there we go. Why? Wow. Okay. Well, I hope it's—I hope it's the one where we talk about uh, movies that defied our expectations, because then our Bible study group can. Read about autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure they'd love that. So yeah, uh, let's, you, you want to you move to the next uh, topic here? Okay, so the next thing we're going to talk about, because we picked a great time to do a podcast, because there's not fuck-all going on at all. Literally nothing. Literally nothing. And it's a shame that we couldn't do this last week, because there was a couple of fun things that happened, like, you know, like Cat Williams had a police standoff again, and then he... he He's fucking wonderful. I hate his stand up comedy, but everything he does is fucking magical. He should just film his life. That's all I want to watch. Uh, but there's a couple articles published. There's one published in Eurogamer and another one published in, uh, I don't know, I, I never know if to say if it's Gamma Sutra or Gamma Sutra. But, anyways, it was about. The opens Gamma Sutra. I, I mean, that's how it's <laughs> spelled, but. Anyway. Uh, they were talking about the ethics of being a, a YouTube personality. Like, where do you draw the line where you take money from? So you have all these people. Uh, it's really popular with video games. Uh, a little bit less with movies. But basically, they do reviews. Or in the case of video games, they'll just do gameplay. Like, here's this jackass playing whatever fucking video game. And then he, you know, screams at the scary parts. Really and makes jokes that aren't that funny. And people love it. And they have millions of subscribers. And they make money from the ad revenue. So there's been this issue where people are taking money to promote things. And it's kind of dicey. So let's say that you're a game publisher and there's let's pretend in a a world that will never exist, Optimism Vaccine has 50,000 subscribers to YouTube. So game publisher comes to me and says, hey Steve, you're so popular and so cool. Uh, Why don't you do a gameplay video on this new video game and just don't say anything bad and we'll give you 50 bucks every 1,000 hits or something like that. And then you make a little coin on the side. These people are getting paid because obviously when you have YouTube and you monetize something, they do ads before the videos. So that's where you get your ad revenue from. And you can make good money. If you have a million subscribers, you can make a six-figure salary. If you're the best guy out there right now, and by best I mean just most popular, um, there's a guy named PewDiePie and he has like 27 million subscribers and he makes like 4 mil a year just from ad revenue Uh, so there's money to be made but you get this extra cash on the side so there's some stories coming out like this one guy he actually went to a publisher and he said I will like your games trailer just like it give it the thumbs up on YouTube and you have to give me 10,000 pounds which in I don't know uh, tea and crumpets money means probably like what like 15,000 US dollars maybe yeah, maybe. Which is a, that's a good chunk of change, and but it raises the question of: Are, are these people journalists? Do they have to stick to ethical standards? Does it not really fucking matter? Is it okay as long as they disclose what they're doing? Uh, and it's it's really a big gray area, and it's hard to say because I don't think there's one definitive answer because is every YouTube content creator the same? And I would say probably not. So I don't. I mean, do you have any any thoughts on this? Media ethics experts. Yes, no. <laughs> oh,
2: okay. We're
0: accepting callers.
1: We're accepting They're callers.
2: I mean, it's not something that's regulated. So, yeah, I think it yeah. doesn't really matter. I mean, that doesn't mean it's not bothersome to mm-hmm. somebody like me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of bullshit. Yeah, way,
1: yeah. But. Uh, I, I'm fine with it as long as they disclose it. Yeah. Like, yeah, feed me, feed me your bullshit as long as I know it's bullshit up front. Mm-hmm. If you, if you mm-hmm. tell me in the beginning, hey, this video was paid for by, you know, X and Y, so there you go. Then that's fine. Then I know what to expect. I know right. it's not, you know, an actual review or it's just whatever the fuck it is. Corporate whoring. Right.
0: Hopefully this isn't just a gateway to something like that.
1: Yeah. Now, there's another side of this coin, too. Uh, on YouTube, um, you can claim anything as your own content, like a copyright claim. So, this happens to Optimism Vaccine all the time. This is, this is how I spend, like, every Saturday morning. Um I get an email that says one of my videos has been flagged, I go to the video, and then I have to fill out this form where I appeal the flag. Now if your video gets flagged for copywritten content, uh, you can't monetize it. You cannot make any money from it until the appeal process goes through. Mm -hmm. And after the appeal, then you either make money or you don't. The problem is, is whoever makes the video is completely removed from that process. So I do the 60-second reviews. Everything that I'm doing is totally legal. I take the trailer from the movie, and then I do a review over it, and that's it. That's it. Fair Use says you can use content as long as it's relevant to what you're doing, and you don't use too much of it, and you're not like giving away key parts of the movie or whatever. So I'm using the trailer. I'm not giving away key parts of the movie. Obviously, I'm using just as much as I need, which is less than a minute of whatever, uh, and I still get flagged. So it's says, Sony Pictures says that you posted their movie. It's like, well, no, asshole, I didn't post your movie. I just did a review. But they can still say, no, yeah, you did. And then we don't get paid. So I would say I've probably done, let's say I've done 20 60-second reviews. I'd say over half of those are not monetized because I appealed and they said, fuck off. So what you can do is, let's say that you do a movie review and you're actually popular. Or you do a video game, gameplay thing, and you make fun of the game because it's a pile of shit. They can claim copyright on it. And then there goes your money for that, that video. And that happens all the time. Uh, there was a game that came out maybe six months ago called uh, Day One Gary's Incident. And it's a total <laughs> pile of steaming shit. So a uh, couple of big YouTube personalities did gameplay videos, did reviews of it where they said this is a steaming pile of shit. And in response, their videos got flagged. And then all those hits, they had hundreds of thousands of hits just gone. There's, and that's, I mean, that's how these people make a paycheck. They make a living from that. So the flip side of it is, is, a publisher can come to you and say, give us a good review and we'll give you money, and you say, fuck off. And they say, oh, okay, fine. And they flag your video and you're fucked. So there, there needs to be, I mean, as so, much as there needs to be guidelines for maybe disclosing what you're doing, there also has to be guide better, a better process of appealing things, and not just a computer algorithm that flags shit randomly.
0: So Identity Thief, the movie, could have come after you for spoiling the fact that it's, it's terrible. terrible shit. Yeah. Yeah,
1: actually... Um. They did come after me for that. That's that's one of our, our things that isn't monetized. I don't think it's because that's obviously because I use a trailer. The uh, one sure? thing that I'm a little bit leery about, and again, I don't know because it doesn't have that many hits, so I can't say this for certain. Uh, when I reviewed the uh, the new, well, it's not new anymore, but the newest Texas Chainsaw movie, it's one of the worst movies I had seen that year. I think Identity Thief was actually worse, but sure. New Texas Chainsaw, horrible, horrible. So, instead of doing a regular review where I talk over um, the, uh, you know, the trailer, I just found a stock video of an elephant taking a piss and <laughs> shit, <laughs> and it was silent, and then it ended. It's like a five-second clip, and that's it. That's all it is. So, it got flagged, but it didn't get flagged from the source of the, you know, the piss and shit video. It got flagged by uh, whatever studio Lionsgate mm-hmm. or whatever that did Texas Chainsaw. So, I don't know if they just flagged it because of the title. I don't know if they flagged it because of elephant dick. I, but or
0: just like contrarian viewpoints. Yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, that's that's a serious problem because some some developers, some movie studios will definitely do that shit. <clears throat> I don't know. Any any other thoughts on that? You guys want to move on? All right, Steve. You said you wanted to talk about Saturday night. Live? What the fuck is going on? I don't, I don't watch that shit anymore. Yeah, what is that? You about what, the, what is this Saturday Night Live you're telling me about?
2: Well, it used to just be called Saturday Night with the not ready for primetime players. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, okay. uh
2: Well, I, I don't know. Like, I definitely am... We'll be talking about pop culture we gave up on a little bit later, but I think a lot of people have given up on Saturday Night Live, but like, mm-hmm. this year I was very curious about it just personally because they had, I think, like six or seven new featured cast members. Oh, like wow. There's almost more featured cast members than there are legitimate cast members because they're trying to get a new cast rolling in the next year. Um, but there was, like, a lot of room for just... Or no, there wasn't enough room for a new breakout star. So they just fired three of the new cast members. Oh, wow. Um, That's a and, lot. Jesus. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, like, all three of us so there was <laughs> Brooks Whelan... Um, John Milheiser and Noel Wells, and so not
0: uh, Nassim Padron. Oh,
2: Nassim Padron.
1: <laughs> what about Horatio Sands? <laughs> is think, he still there? <laughs> no, he's not there. How is that? He never goes away. He's like I, that's. I can't. I refuse to believe that. Is he really gone? <laughs> well, when was the last
2: time you watched that? <laughs> I don't know. I just.
1: I just know that I. I, would, I, I probably watched it like. I would probably watch it once a month for, let's say, the span of ten years. And he was the only constant. Because <laughs> what the fuck else is he going to do? I don't know when he left. I think it was like the early 2000s. <laughs> That's depressing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's been gone for almost ten years. I refuse to believe <laughs>
2: that. He's still there. But yeah, they uh, but they got rid of these three new cast members. And I know with Noel Wells was just known for doing a really good impression of Lena Dunham and a not-so-good impression of Nancy Grace. Uh, John Milhiser did... Literally nothing. Um, I think he, I don't even know if he did any impressions, like, I think he barely showed up in any sketches. Same for oh. Boots Whelan, I think they had him do a few weekend update things, but yeah, they all got dumped. Huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, really the ones they got rid of are just sort of nondescript white people. Yeah, okay. So a typical SNL cast member. really <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> That's everybody, right? Except for Horatio yeah. hands, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, they have Zashism. The <laughs> That's <not laughs> how I'm going to say every single cast member now is just in the done part. You members. have to. There's no other way to do it. Um, and of course they hired her midway through the season because there was this controversy that they hadn't hired any black female cast members, really not since, like, uh, Wilmaia Rudolph. Yeah. Um, and before her it was
1: Ellen Cleggorn. Yeah, what the, Ellen Clegghorn, geez, what was she hired? Like nineteen ninety two? yeah, I think she, it's like eighty nine to oh ninety god! she was on? <laughs> yeah. Underrated cast member. Uh, stay tuned for
2: an accounting for the underrated for Ellen. <laughs> Ellen <Cleggorn. laughs> um so yeah, I don't know like if they're planning on hiring new cast members or if that's just if that's just it, they're just gonna start a yeah, fresh trim the season. Um there are there's at least like one or two cast members that are from that new group that I actually think are very promising. Uh, Kyle Mooney.
0: Is he the one from Hello Ladies? Uh,
2: yeah, he was in Hello Ladies, which is canceled, um, and he's in those uh, he's in those Sprint Framily commercials oh, right. now too. Oh, right. the fun. guy with the uh, frizzy hair and the glasses. But uh, he does these short films. It's not like the SNL digital shorts that Andy Samberg did, but they're actually they're really good, and I think mm-hmm. like uh, like it actually kind of got me excited about Saturday Night Live again. not that excited but like enough to (laughs) where it piques my interest every now and then yeah yeah
0: what's sad about that is those shorts will become viral like quite quickly where people like maybe me or Steve um, who don't really care about the show anymore who have given up we can see that without having to like go Mm -hmm. back and actually watch the rest of it
1: Mm. yeah that's exactly how I feel about SNL right now I don't need to watch it because I know if something's really funny I'm probably gonna see it right Goddamn, internet's ruining everything. Mm. So, Mitch, so should I actually tune in? Should I should I watch Saturday Night Live now? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, are they hiring?
2: Do they have quite post? the endorsement? I don't think they're hiring anybody else. Um, I know that there's a, there's also a newer cast member who was just a writer who they hired to do Weekend Update, uh, Colin Jost. Oh. I, don't, I have no idea who that is. And, I Thought you were uh, gonna say
0: Colin Quinn.
2: Colin, McElroy. Colin Quinn is back, everybody. <laughs> Uh, Colin Quinn. (laughs) It's my story, and (laughs) still can do it. I think Colin just, I think, did something where he had to beg people to give him a second chance next season because he sucked so much hosting Weekend Update with. uh, Oh, what's what's going on? Something's vibrating. Oh, nothing. Sorry. Uh, How's the other? Oh, Cecily Strong. I don't know, like the chemistry is not there. Like weekend updates actually become like the weakest segment of Saturday Week, Night Live. Wow! And Week update end update Week and update. You should trademark that. That's uh, that's pretty good. That's some comedy there. Yeah. <laughs> that's. Uh, I like to make an announcement. Actually, uh,
1: I'm starting it right for Saturday Night Live <laughs> in the fall. <laughs> there it is, guys. I know weekend update sucks right now. We're gonna change it to W E. AK, you see, it's funny now. See how it's funny because it sucks. <laughs> yeah,
2: I was looking at a list of people who've hosted Weekend Update. Do you know how Christopher Guest hosted Weekend Update when he was no. on SNL? Oh yeah, I very that's remember weird. That. Yeah, like in the 84-85 eighty-five All-Star season. Mm-hmm. That's that's really odd. Have you <laughs> seen clips of that? Is it good or? He just plays it very straight. Actually, oh, huh. <laughs> it's okay. It, like it's fine. Nothing, obviously nothing that memorable.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's interesting to me that Weekend Update is so weak now because even when SNL was shitty, at least that was... You got a few chuckles out of it because the jokes are pretty rapid-fire and, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems pretty simple. Guess not. Well, maybe they'll bring back Mad TV. I don't know. That would be... (laughs) Frank
2: Caliendo! (laughs) (laughs)
1: The guy that plays Stewart! <laughs> Nicole Sullivan! Oh, that's, that's the extent of my... Key and Peel. Oh yeah, Key and Peel for a little bit too. There was... That, that's I think that's the whole cast. There we go. That was impressive. I... That can... Yeah, did pretty well. Yeah, I, actually, I'm actually really <laughs> proud of how well we just did. That should not have gone that well. At all. Um... Alright, so are you, you guys ready to Okay, let's let's move to our next topic here. Um we're gonna <laughs> Time for a big shift in tone, everyone. Steve and I were talking the other day uh about the the the, the saddest movie that, that we had ever seen. So we thought we'd uh we'd kinda of talk about that and discuss, you know I mean what makes a movie sad and when is it just like, you know, pawing at your emotions and, and things like that. So uh, Steve, do you actually want to start? Because I think yours is the heavy hitter of the group. Oh,
2: okay. Well, I uh, went with uh, Werner Herzog's Strozik, which um, for those of you who might know, that you're, I, don't, I don't even think it's an urban legend. It's a true story. Ian Curtis of Joy Division. It was the last thing he did before he hung himself was watch uh, Strozik on, like, BBC television.
1: Which I can I can see that.
2: that yeah, <laughs> after watching it. Jesus Christ.
0: Probably not the only man Werner Herzog's killed.
2: No. (laughs) No. It's a long rap sheet. (laughs) Hidden inside of the skull of some Inca tribe. (laughs) (laughs) On the Peruvian coast. (laughs) That boat had to squish someone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Say, it really is probably the most devastating movie I've ever seen. And I watched it again last night. I've seen it multiple times. I'm a big fan of the film. But every time I see it, it actually... Packs more of a gut punch than it did the previous time that I saw it
1: yeah it's uh, I, I watched it for the first time uh, recently uh, specifically for this podcast, actually. and uh, it was Jesus Christ it, <laughs> it's one of those movies too where it's it's not relentless with it making you feel like shit. He just kind of builds up these these really really flawed characters that you want to like that you want to root for. They're underdogs, um, they're immigrants from Germany. And you just, you wanted to come out on top, but you know, of course, well, I mean, I knew because you said it was sad that things weren't going to turn out <laughs> so well. <Shit. laughs> uh, Do we need to give a little bit of a... Yeah, why don't you give a rundown just, of the plot? Because, uh, I mean, this isn't exactly, you know... The is the it's not Casa fucking Blanca. I don't think everyone's no. seen it. Um, but it, it very well should be.
2: Um, sorry, that was really hyperbolic. <laughs> um, Strosik is a, like I said, a Herzog film... Uh, stars Bruno S, and uh, he actually plays the titular character Bruno Strodzik in the film. Um, a little bit of background on the actor who plays him is actually like some street street busker I think that Werner Herzog discovered on the streets of Berlin and like hmm. hired him to do this, at least this film. And uh, it starts out he's getting let out of prison. Um, what sort of crime he commits, I don't really know if they make clear. But basically a tribute to the fact that he's this alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. You know? And he plays a street buster in the film, too. Um, but he sort of has this... He's in love with this prostitute named Eva. I don't think she loves him back, but sort of uses him to kind of, like, get protection from the pimps, one of which is played by um, Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters 2. That's, I don't know if you that's know true. It. Yeah, I, I,
1: I, he looked familiar to me, but I couldn't i couldn't put it Who was a legitimate pimp? <laughs> Vico was Before, a fucking pimp. He was a, he was a pimp. He was a boxer and a pimp. That's really <laughs> um, weird. So
2: like there's that real rawness to that movie, and these pimps basically bully Strozik. and there's also they there's an older man that lives in the same apartment complex as Strozik and they are all having just such a miserable time. You know, she's getting the shit beat out of her by her pimps. They're beating the shit out of him. And their the old neighbor has a nephew that lives in Wisconsin. So the film's actually shot in rural Wisconsin. Shout out to Wisconsin. Yeah. So they leave Berlin and they go try to live the American dream. And they say, like, everybody makes money in America. Everybody gets rich. And, like, he winds up working for the, this guy's nephew. So he's just, like, a mechanic. She winds up serving tables, but eventually is turning tricks in the back of these truck drivers, like, cabins. Mm-hmm. Um
1: Yeah, they all kind of just, they they fall back into their habits that they were before. So they go to this place to kind of start over and, you know, find a promising new life. And it's just like, well, you know, it's not, it's it's a different kind of dreary than Berlin, but Mm -hmm. they end up doing the exact same things and falling into the same patterns. And arguably it's worse. I mean, there's a
2: language barrier Mm -hmm. and it's, they they literally have nothing to do and nowhere to go. Don't
0: they run into some sort of financial problems as well?
2: Yeah, they're not
1: paying their bills, basically. Um, well cuz they think what well, you you come to America and you work hard and then you get your house and you get your nice TV and that's that's what they get. Yeah. They just get it right away and they they can't afford to pay for anything. So yeah. and they take a loan out from the bank like to buy the TV, to buy this
2: double wide trailer. And uh the bank comes by and they're like, "Hey, look, uh you haven't been paying anything." Which <laughs> the banker in the film. <laughs> that kind <laughs> of sleaze. But I love him. Just, you know, all this wonderful TV you have. We may have to take it. <laughs> you do understand, yeah, just right? Just the way he
1: words, everything is fucking perfect. Well,
0: <laughs> yours yeah. is this? 76, seventy-six, I
1: believe. Um, yeah, and there's there's a really a powerful scene in there when he talks about uh, he's talking to Eva about their new life and all the problems that they're having, and uh, she's basically telling him, "Well, you know, it's it's not as bad as you think." And uh, he starts talking about when he was in an orphanage when he was younger and dealing with, like, Nazi Germany and how he's been, like, physically abused all of his life. And that's what happens to them when they're in Berlin. Uh, the the You know, the pimp and the, the other guy, they just beat the shit out of him. They humiliate him. Uh, but he mentions that everything they do, they, they, they do it outwardly. Like, you know, you see the abuse. It's there. Uh, whereas in America, his primary abuser is... Just, I mean, American culture in general, and then this banker who just kind of like passively is ruining his life. Uh, and he talks about how that's so much worse that he there's I mean, there's nothing he can do about. It. There's nothing physical for him to grab onto. It's just everything sucks. Just so they smile at him and they take everything away.
2: Yep. And smile they, at him and they take everything away. And they do. They he has to sit there through the auction while they're auctioning off his house and his television. And A Sylvania, no less. <laughs>
0: So, um, if we're going to talk about uh, sort of like what makes movies so sad, what what makes them work, um, obviously it's not just storyline because then any movie could do anything. Mm -hmm. So, what is it about Strosik that you find particularly effective?
2: It just seems, and it sounds like a cliche to say, but just everything about it just seems very real. It's hyper realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got the uh, authenticity thing going pretty well. And there's really no moment in that film where you feel any sense of hope for these characters. <laughs> no, like it's just they're doomed from right from the beginning. And I think the, the actually the relationship between Ava and Strozik like really gets to me. Because um, again, it's clear that she's sort of using him because he has feelings for her, but she has no feelings for him. And you know she kind of falls into the same thing. She's turning tricks with these truckers, and then she's gonna leave him to go move to Vancouver with these skeezy-ass truckers who are probably just going to kill her Yeah, at some <laughs> point. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's a very isolating <laughs> feeling. Even if he's with people, like, just that Strosa character is completely alone. Mm-hmm. And there's just, again, there's never any sign of hope for him. <laughs> and, like, the only way the movie can end is the way that it does end. Um, which, can we... Spoiled. Yeah, It's from fucking
1: 1970s. Yeah. If you haven't fucking seen this shit, fuck you. Plus, it's a Werner Herzog movie. You know it's not going to be goddamn uplifting. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he basically what basically Man? He runs <laughs> away. <laughs> <laughs> he just destroys these yeah. tapes. <laughs> wow, that's not great. <laughs> yeah, that's a really bad. Yeah, um, <laughs> go, on, go ahead.
2: <laughs> just trying to light the mood here. Um, yeah, so he goes up on a ski lift with his t- frozen turkey. Mm-hmm. And he shoots himself you don't see it you just hear the shot off the the camera and the film ends because he's running through this sort of like ski resort
1: it's like a tourist trap thing I don't know what the fuck it is it's weird
2: and it's actually filmed in. it's happening in Wisconsin but it's filmed in North Carolina you can tell there's actual mountains
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we don't there's how many of those
2: Um, there are no mountains in Wisconsin Ah, the hills of Milwaukee yes a couple bluffs but that's about it uh, (laughs) and just has this scene where he like Before he goes to kill himself, he puts quarters in all these machines that have these animals that when you put in a quarter, they do these tricks. Like, there's a rabbit that goes and tries to eat something off of a fire engine, so it makes the fire engine go. And then there's this, uh, the most iconic image of the film is probably this dancing chicken.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually. I kind of wish those things were real. (laughs) Well, I mean, animal cruelty
2: aside, it looks fun. So, like, the film ends this very bizarre note. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny, but, like, just in juxtaposition to everything that's just happened, it's, I don't know, there's nothing, I think, that can kind of, like,
1: yeah, I don't know, I'm yeah. it's, it's a really bizarre, because <laughs> well, there's there's these tiny moments of comedy where you, you, they're obviously things you're supposed to laugh at, but the way they're set up, you kind of feel a little uncomfortable laughing at them. And that's definitely one of the big ones for me is like when he's going through and it's just like, okay, and, and here's the duck that plays the drum and the chicken that dances and the other chicken that plays the piano and all these different animals. Uh, and then obviously goes on to kill himself, but then they go back to the animals and uh, his truck, which had broken down and it was actually caught on fire, he somehow i don't know how he did this but he he just like got it driving in a circle by itself so the the truck's driving in a circle by itself it lights on fire and blows up the chickens dancing and then just all this weird chaos going on around him and then eh. yeah i
0: haven't i haven't seen the film in just about like eight years or something like that and i have like vague memories of what happens and uh i remember you know the truckers and things like that and, and the banker coming in but uh it was one of those films where when I finished watching it um, it just left me with such a feeling like I, I remember that last scene more than you know pretty much any other film that I've seen over like you know three mm-hmm. years or something like that
1: yeah it's uh, it's not fun
0: <laughs> no
1: very uh, very Herzog-y, though I, I will say that's all of his movies kind of bum me out but in, in the best way possible But it gave us new order it did give us new orders, so thank God. We wouldn't have Blue Mondays if it wasn't for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, he's as a filmmaker too. His stuff is so great because he, he can do something like that. I don't think anybody else could have pulled off that movie the, right. way, that, the way that he did. And you can say that about pretty much anything that he said. Look at Fitzcarraldo. Who the fuck else could have done Fitzcarraldo? Nobody else. Even his documentaries—they're all good. Yeah, And even shit that should not be even remotely interesting. Uh, <laughs> what's it called? Is it Cave of Forgotten Dreams? Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Okay, which for those of you who haven't seen it, because the guy's got like 8,000 documentaries, it's a documentary about a fucking cave. That's it. It's Here's a cave. But he's just got this voice. So he's like, and then there were the pictures of the animals on the wall. And it just kind of like lulls you into this trance. And he can make the most mundane things just really interesting really it's yeah he
0: he made a 45 minute documentary in like late 70s early 80s about a ski jumper and there's absolutely nothing like ostensibly like uh, interesting about this guy but the film is just amazing yeah the things that he can just pull from...
1: He made a don't-text-and-drive PSA right. that's fucking amazing. I mean, how the hell do you do that? That's Same not even possible. He made it in, in Wisconsin, by the way. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. <laughs> oh, you're right, because he interviews the family with the with yeah. the little girl yeah. that gets run over by the car. Spoiler alert. Shit. Wow, there we go. Wow. Do you want to <laughs> I guess I guess I'll go to mine because I was talking to Steve about this uh, a little bit earlier, how, you know, after watching Strosby for the first time... We pick movies that are similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, my choice was the Lars von Trier movie, and you can actually, this is kind of like Mad Libs, you can just pick your favorite Lars von Trier movie and kind of plug it in here. Uh, or in least the Dark. Favorite. Or least favorite for that matter, yeah. yeah. There's one thing Lars von Trier is going to do, he's going to beat you into fucking submission. Um, so, Dancer in the Dark is, uh, it's about a woman, she's an immigrant, and it's got the same kind of poor, white, Americana, blue-collar thing going on. She works in a factory... Um, and the story here it's it's a little more i guess relies on a lot of tropes and a lot of obvious shit to kind of pull at your emotions so she's a poor immigrant she works in a factory and she's going blind and uh, it's a genetic disease that's making her blind so her son needs to get an operation before he turns 13 or he's going to go blind too so she saves up all her money and um a bunch of horrible things happen to her one after another one after another Uh, I'd list him, but we'd be here for three hours. David Morse. Yeah, basically. Uh, (laughs) So she ends up killing a guy. And in her defense, he asked her to. But, uh, (laughs) well, here. She kills a guy. and It takes place in the 1960s. She's a foreigner. She's accused of being a communist. And she killed a white cop. So,
2: eh,
1: can't really do that. Uh, So she's sentenced to death. And it's just, it's one thing after another. It's just, gut punch after gut punch after gut punch um but just just kind of like with the strosic musical chicken scenes there's these moments where the film kind of breaks away from its standard Lars von Trier handheld camera stuff uh she's a big fan of musicals broadway musicals so whenever shit gets bad she kind of like goes in this you know la la land and she pictures herself in a musical singing songs so the film kind of goes between Lars von Trier with a handheld camera making you sad, to these like hundred camera Bjork musical productions where she's doing her Bjork thing. And uh, it's, it's a really weird contrast, but it works. Uh, mostly because I fucking hate musicals and I don't hate this movie, so it's, it has <laughs> to be, good, right? Um, <clears throat> and I think one of the most powerful scenes, for me at least, is towards the end. And again, I guess spoiler if you haven't seen a movie that's like 20 years old. Uh, <laughs> She's on death row, and she starts to go into the uh, you know, the thing where she starts singing. So we've been watching the movie the whole time, and Lars von Trier has basically trained us. When Bjork starts singing, that means it's not going to be handheld camera time, and it's going to be a fun musical production, but it's not. It's just, it, it, the camera just stays on, and it refuses to break away from that. And It's like, okay, now you're going to watch this horrible thing happen, and then, yeah. Yeah. It's I'm, pretty great.
0: I'm glad you brought up uh, the... Uh, similarities between Stroszek and, and Dancer in the Dark because, um, like you said, the, the stories are very similar. But the the filmmaking styles couldn't be
1: different. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely different.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like like you said, Lars von Trier is just sort of throwing stuff at you, and and Herzog is, it seems he's much more subdued and, mm-hmm. and sort of lets lets it happen. It's yeah, interesting.
1: Uh, and and that's I guess both a strength and a criticism of right. Lars von Trier. He, he's very. Adversarial with his audience, he he likes to see how much you can take. Right. Um, so whether it's you know Willem Dafoe's penis or Shia LaBeouf's penis or Bjork dying or, or <laughs> Bjork's penis or Bjork's penis, um, yeah, it's he. I like <laughs> 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 he he likes he likes to you know shovel a bunch of stuff on you, and and he's he's very talented, but it's um it's a lot it's a lot to take on. Yeah. And sometimes it works better than the, another one of his super sad movies Um, did you see Melancholia I mean the title kind of says it all Uh, and and that's that's one of his movies where I feel like it it doesn't quite work as well
0: right Um, wait what Melancholia oh that was the one with Kirsten Dunst yeah Kirsten
1: Dunst End of the World Um, and it's weird because I guess the ultimate thing like the ultimate bummer is the world's ending and there's nothing you can do about it so there's just this impending doom but I think that's the the biggest weakness of the movie because (laughs) Lars von Trier's strength is when he he um he focuses the viewer's attention on one person's sadness, and that's that's what he does in *Dance mm-hmm. in the Dark*
0: and *Dogville*.
1: Yeah, *Dogville* is another good example. Uh, I haven't seen *Breaking the Waves*, but same. I yeah, I figured as much. So yeah, in a movie like *Melancholia*, we're we're forced to care about too many people. We're forced to care about the whole fucking world, and uh, that's that's not as fun. Mm-hmm. I prefer to care about one person.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Just to make a quick note about Breaking the Waves, uh, Dancing in the Dark, uh, devastating, but, uh, like you said, it does, uh, kind of rely on a couple tropes, and I feel like that's, that's one of the big differences in Breaking the Waves, where the story is, is this, like, super intimate story, and,
1: um, yeah, you should check it out. I have to watch it. Maybe I'll steal it from the internet. Or maybe I'll buy it legally. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Uh, okay,
0: do you want to talk about, uh, your pick? Yeah, yeah, um, the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking about, uh, sort of movies that just u- ultimately bum you out was, um, Blue Valentine of, uh, four years ago, 2010. <clears throat> um, uh, I mean, there's a lot of movies to pick, but, but that's sort of the one that, that, uh, has hit me, I don't know, in the last decade more than pretty much any other film that's, that's a real bummer. Um, have you seen this?
1: Oh yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. It's, uh. That one, that one's rough. That that's a rough one to get through.
0: Yeah, and uh, like like you were saying about Strossex, Steve, um, there's all you can really say about it is that it's just it's real. It feels real. It feels Very natural. Feeling, yeah. And uh, I, I I felt the same way with Blue Valentine, where um, there's not it, it, like a lot of movies that really bum you out. They're hard to sort of intellectualize. It's just it feels real. It feels natural. And. Um this one certainly does that and it sort of uh does the does the thing like you're talking about with Dance in the Dark where it has these moments that are very joyful, um mm-hmm. in a much different way than Dance in the Dark, but still and then it has these, these very subtle points that just like sort of knock you on your feet and or off your feet. And uh it's yeah, I, I would I would call it life affirming, but it's <laughs> it's sort of like it scares you. Uh, yeah, it scares you about life in very simple ways.
1: Yeah, it's 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 really well because the characters are so relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people, especially our age, we're, we're like late twenties, early thirties, whatever. Um, you know, twenties. Twenties. I'm I'm actually 16 years old. Uh, <laughs> at this point, <laughs> it kind of reminded me of my crush on the guy from One Direction. Um, no. <laughs> At this point in our lives, I think, you know, you you have relationships where no matter what you do, no matter how much you care about someone or how much you cared about someone, it just breaks down. And it's just two flawed peoples, peoples, people, (laughs) who have feelings for each other. Peoples, that's people, bummer. Yeah. (laughs) Two flawed people who have feelings for each other, it just doesn't work. And it's, you know, it's not because one person did a horrible thing to another, another person did a horrible thing to each other. You just wear each other down and it just doesn't work anymore. (laughs) <laughs> That's because our love is pure and our love is true, Steve. And you will never have to worry about that. I will never leave you. And you know what? If you want to paint houses and move furniture for the rest of your life, I will support you. I love being a nurse and I wanna I want to raise our child together. Just as long as I keep going down. Yeah, as long as you keep going down. You want to, you, you want to drink beer at 8 a.m.? You do it. You do
0: it. It's, it's more like as long as you stop going down. <laughs> Um uh, anyway uh what i also thought was interesting for Blue <laughs> uh, the the director it was debut director of um i'm going to but- butcher his name but Derek Sean Francis Cien France yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Place Beyond that's the Pines guy. What were you going to ask? What was going to ask about Oh um well yeah i mean he he sort of stays out of the way but you know it's a lot of handheld stuff and and <clears throat> from the preview it looks like a movie that I'm going to hate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of you know. It's it's gritty. It's handheld. It's they're dancing around on the street. He's playing the ukulele. Fucking ukuleles. Yeah, and it's it's like another. It's just like her where it's like another ukulele movie. And then you actually watch the scene. Oh. You're like, okay, I should, so that's, that's
1: fine. You can have your ukulele <laughs> mustache.
0: But yeah, and <clears throat> especially in the early 2000s, with like like I can think of the Ina Ritu, There um there, always comes along these. Directors who try to do this really gritty, very uh, natural uh, filmmaking, and it, it always like you're always like, oh, I kind of like this. I really want to like this. Uh, the Constant Gardener was another example of something that failed like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Blue, Blue Valentine, it just sort of works. For one, he stays out of the way, but also he has um, just amazing actors. Yeah, just like taking over it.
1: Well, one of the smartest things he did was, yeah, he stays out of the way and. Um, he, he doesn't wear his either. Um, Michelle Williams or uh, Ryan Gosling down. Mm-hmm. Everything was done in pretty much one or two takes. Yeah. So you're you're kind of getting. and I think there's a lot of ad libbing too. So you're, you're just getting their raw emotion there. Mm-hmm. So you're not you're not watering it down by doing it over and over and over and over again. And I think it really helps the movie a lot. Right.
0: Yeah. And and uh, his second movie is a different story. Uh, but his filmmaking is still very much. Um, keeps that film alive um, Mm -hmm. and whether you like it or dislike it is totally um, up for debate but it still feels um, different than than, uh, a lot of other products.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, with Place Beyond the Pines, uh, I guess... (laughs) I should say the title. It's uh, a great first act and then it just kind of slowly goes down and then I... It kind of comes up a little bit at the end maybe so it's okay. Yeah, yeah,
0: (laughs) it it was weird. Like, yeah, it's a movie that I can't fully endorse but at the same time... It was one of the best experience of experiences I've had in a the theater in a long mm-hmm. time, and I, I don't I don't really know how to uh, rationalize that.
1: Yeah, I mean th- probably the first forty five minutes of that movie is just yeah, it's, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Right. And maybe to the film's detriment because after that it's like I, I don't even know. Maybe the rest of the movie is actually okay, but <laughs> right. the, the first forty five minutes is so good it's like oh fuck. Well I don't know. yeah yeah. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about. Media we've given up on. Uh, Sean and I were talking the other day, and I mentioned that I, I, well, I kind of passionately expressed my hatred for The Walking Dead, which I've given up on multiple times, and I, I have a very strange relationship with the show. I, I absolutely hate it to no end, but I, I just I keep coming back because you hear all these little rumbles on the internet. Oh, it's getting better. It's so much better now. You should watch it again. The last season was horrible, but now it's okay. So I keep coming back, and obviously I keep getting disappointed. Um, So the first time I quit was actually after Season 2, which, have you guys both watched The Walking Dead? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so for people who haven't watched The Walking Dead, Season 2 is the season where they just basically sit on a farm and stare at their dicks for an hour (laughs) every week, so, seriously, that's that's all they do. Just just a lot of uh, dick staring, and there's a girl who's missing named Sophia, so we get to hear people go, Sophia, in the woods, <laughs> just over and over and over again. Uh, and, and that actually, that's kind of a common theme, too, in The Walking Dead, is uh, yelling a child's name, so after we find out, spoiler alert, fuck you, don't watch this show, I don't care, Sophia's actually dead, she's a zombie, oh, we didn't see that coming, <laughs> So then they move on to just yelling Carl's name all the time. So we go from Svea to Carl! Like, just constantly, constantly, constantly. So I gave up after that because I didn't think they were going anywhere or doing anything. And then I hear about this character, the governor, who seemed <laughs> yeah. kind of interesting to me. And all the people who are like,
0: oh, well, if you've read the graphic novel
1: adaptation, then you know that, oh, when the governor comes in, that's when it gets interesting. And there's a girl with a sword, and boo blah, blah, blah. All right, girl with a sword, governor, let's let's watch this. And that season was okay. It was fine. It didn't make me want to die, so I figured, keep it going. And then it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I was about ready to give up again. And then they did something sort of interesting. One of the problems with The Walking Dead, and there's like fucking 50,000. We could dedicate a (laughs) six-hour podcast to that. (laughs) Is you have a dozen characters at least you don 't really develop any of them, maybe two or three, uh Rick sort of ugh, uh, a little bit, and a few other characters you, you get you get a little something, yeah, fuck, Rick,
0: if they do develop them they, de- they develop them totally in the wrong direction yeah
1: yeah they're they 're all terrible um there's no consistency either, like whenever a character makes a decision which they usually make a terrible decision, um, they always make terrible decisions in unique ways that are different from the way that you think that character should be making decisions. It's really inconsistent and stupid. But anyways, what they did was they took this giant group of people and they broke them up. And every week, instead of focusing on twelve assholes, we focus on two so we can develop the characters a little bit more. Kinda smart. Cause maybe you can make me care about some of these people I don't give a fuck about. Like uh, Glenn, the uh, Asian man with the hat, who I don't give a shit about. Well maybe if you spend an hour or two on him then I'll start to care, but probably not. So they, they do this thing where they start focusing on individual characters. And then this is the, my breaking point. <laughs> this is where I throw up my hands. There's an episode where um, hillbilly man who's not dead. Uh, mm-hmm. What's his name? That everybody thinks is it's either Merle or Daryl. Merle or Daryl. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember which one it is. Uh, Something that's I think guy. it's Daryl. It's it's Daryl. It's Daryl. Okay. So Daryl. D- <laughs> Merle. Merle and Daryl. <laughs> uh, Daryl and. Uh, and oh, then no, girl no. whose name I forget, and, and her entire job is taking care of the baby that she loses. Uh, and she doesn't have a personality other than baby taker-carer-of person. Right. Uh, other than woman. Yeah, woman, exactly. Mm. Young maternal figure. <laughs> uh, her and, and Daryl are, you know, fighting off zombies, blah 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 blah, blah. and... She kind of has this breakdown because she's a teen and she's not doing teen things. And even though the world's ending, she feels like she's entitled to doing teen things. Uh, so she wants to have her very first drink. So this is, this is the entire episode. They go to a country club because she thinks there's going to be booze there. And there is. There's a bottle of peach schnapps and Daryl goes, that's no good. So obviously we have to move on because there's 30 minutes left and peach schnapps <laughs> is no good for a 16-year-old girl's first drink. So they, they find this like shack. Uh, I think it's actually Daryl's, like, former home, I want to say. Because, you know, then we can have emotions. (laughs) Uh, And then they just, they sit in the house and they drink moonshine. And uh, maternal teen cries because she can't be a teen. And then Daryl cries because he had a bad childhood. So we, we learn all about them. And I don't give a fuck the entire time. And at the end, there's this really weird thing that they do. So they symbolically, they burn down the house because it's, it's yeah, it's Daryl's former house and he needs to burn the bad memories. And then they, they burn the house. And as they burn the house, this mountain goat song comes on. I think it's called... Uh, Up, Up with the Wolves. Up, Up with the Wolves, yeah. And it just starts blaring and then they're just staring at this blazing house. I'm like, ah, done. I'm <laughs> fucking done. And I where, can't do it anymore. What episode was that? I don't know. I want to say it's from the most recent season? Would that be four or five? I I know, don't I've know. been I've been off the wagon since then. I think this happened back in March, so yeah. probably the most recent season. But I'm, I'm fucking done. There's no yeah. more of this.
0: For someone who's given up on this, you've made it much further than <laughs> I anyone. Th- I really <laughs> have. I, I just... No, it's surprising. and, and uh, I've never
1: hate-watched something with more passion. See, that's I have no the thing. idea.
0: That's the thing. So when I started watching the show, uh, binge-watched the the first two seasons the first one's only like six episodes yeah. and uh, meanwhile like I mean I was I was into it enough to to watch it and keep watching but I couldn't believe how how bad the gender and race politics were in it that, that I it was, it was like it, I developed a hate watch yeah and but it was a hate watch that's fun you know and then uh, once season three started I, I just couldn't do it anymore like the badness wasn't Good enough, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was just like uh, you get after a while, you get tired of the white dude telling the much stronger and capable black man to go watch over the women and the <laughs> back of the home and
1: tend to the children.
0: Yeah, and and then the story in season three just got absolutely terrible, where where I I I just had to stop watching and mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Well, and it's funny too because. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the strong black man. I, I I can't even think of his name because I think they probably said his name like three times. Uh, eventually he dies. Oh, who saw that coming? Character they don't care about dying, um, but then they promptly replaced him with another strong black character that they basically do the same thing to. So yeah,
0: yeah. It, when it, when I was watching those first two seasons, um, it was so bad that I that I I was convinced that it was some sort of subversive thing where they were <laughs> giving
1: it too much credit
0: yeah you <laughs> no I, because you know people talked it up so much and uh I had never seen it before and so I was like oh this must must be all like right. some like really great subversive thing that's gonna reveal itself soon never did once I realized it never did it was sort of unwatchable and I can't watch Rick just sort of uh and his kid wear that stupid hat all fuck the time fuck Carl
1: fuck his fucking <laughs> angst I'm so sick of his bullshit yeah. all he does is mope around uh there's an episode in the season that I don't think you watched. I think it was the episode actually right before I quit, where um, Rick is injured, like, on the brink of death, and he's, like, lying this, on this couch, and uh, Carl's response to his dying father is, mm, I'm mad at my dad. So he stomps off, almost gets himself killed, and then uh, finishes the episode off eating a bunch of chocolate pudding on a roof. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there, there. was maybe like half of a character that I kind of cared about. Half of a character. <laughs> and that that's just not enough for show. Yeah, it's yeah. really. It, it's kind of an anomaly as to why people like it so much. I. I. It's just not for me, I guess I should say, because yeah. I, I don't understand why people well, would be like Yeah, I guess. You don't spend
1: enough time on Tumblr.
0: And and also the graphic novel.
1: Yeah, the graphic novel, which is what people always go back to. Yeah. It's the same defense that I always hear when people defend uh, Zack Snyder's Watch- Watchmen. Yeah. Watchmen. Like, well, you know, he does, he does stick to the graphic novel quite well. And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, the graphic novel's fucking unfilmable. Don't. That, I mean, just because one thing is good doesn't mean your adaptation, faithful or not, is yeah. going to be good. Right. It, it just doesn't work that way. Fuck that shit. Yeah. How about you, Sean, rather? Um, well, i have <laughs> plenty than the, the Walking
0: Dead. I have plenty of these, uh, in, in, but in terms of TV shows, something that I started out... like I, I came a little late to the party on uh, HBO's Girls, um, and I watched the first four episodes in a row, and um, I thought it was really refreshing the way that they talked, and I hadn't seen anything like that on TV for a while. <clears throat> and then I came back to it a while later and sort of slogged through the second uh, season, and, and it, was, it was similar to The Walking Dead, where I was just like, I really can't stand these characters anymore
2: mm. Steve? Other Steve? Well we're talking about television and I feel like this isn't fair because I think everybody's thrown the show under the bus. Uh, Dexter Oh yeah that's um, in so much as that it just got so terrible that I would hate watch it but it also affected the earlier half of that series too so hmm. you go back and watch it and the show sucks in retrospect now.
1: Yeah yeah uh and well, that's pretty fascinating. I don't yeah, yeah. The <laughs> second the second half is so bad that it ruins the first half. Um I, I also quit Dexter. I um I after the Jimmy Smith season, I believe. Oh, wow. So that was only like, halfway through the run. Yeah. And from what I've heard from people who stuck it out, they were like, that was good. You picked a good time to stop. That's that's the good yeah. time. <laughs> which is funny because I thought at that point it couldn't get any worse. But boy, was I wrong.
2: Apparently. Yeah, I think the season after that is the John Lithgow season, which is like, they said that was like a return to form, but really I think it's just because he had such a, he just, did so well acting as this batshit crazy guy. So
1: he's kind of like his villain in Cliffhanger? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> I maybe mean, I should go back.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I mean that was really the only thing that was worth watching that entire season, mm-hmm. but like because of that, it was such a step up that it was kind of like, oh, well, the show's better now. Yeah. But, yeah, they just gave the character Dexter way too much sympathy, and I mean it ends, it, it's inflated rot by the time it's done. Like, yeah. it's unbelievable yeah. how bad
1: it got. Oh, one of the biggest problems with that show, uh, and this was apparent in like the, the first and second season, which I think are those are probably considered the best ones, probably. Uh, the most, first season. Most of the people who are acting can't really act, and the production uh, quality is terrible. Yeah, especially considering it's you know it's on a premium channel, right? And when you compare it to other shows, it's like ugh. And, like
2: the talent they have working behind <clears throat> the scenes, like Ernest Dickerson, right, who works with Spike Lee a lot. So a cinematographer and director for a bunch of episodes, and they just there's nothing
1: that signifies his work is on that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really flat looking. Um, I think the worst is uh, Dexter's sister. Good fucking lord. Just <laughs> <laughs> star of the exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah, <laughs> and um, star of the American remake of the horror movie Wreck. Oh, yeah. Found footage zombie movies. uh <laughs> It's. Oh, I mean, maybe she should stick to found footage. Cause the whole thing is, it's like you're acting, but you're not supposed to act like you're acting, and she can't act, so that's that's perfect for her. Uh, but yeah, like her whole shtick is just screaming about the ice truck killer. That's that's all I remember. Just running on the treadmill, ice truck killer, Ugh.
2: swearing a lot. Yeah, she's really good at that.
1: A lot of that.
0: Well, Dexter uh, reminds me, uh, because of my own experience with it, of another reason why sometimes you quit shows. Uh, I, I watched the first eight episodes. And I I liked it. Um, I didn't dislike it, <clears throat> except the production quality, which I thought was terrible in some of the acting. But, I mean, I, I could get past that. But uh, sometimes, at least for me, I've watched quite a few shows, and then I just stop watching it because I get distracted or, or um, you know, I haven't sat down in a few days to watch an episode. Mm-hmm. And then you once you have sort of like this distance from the show you just have absolute apathy about a show like you don't hate it like i do for the walking dead or roll my eyes over girls um it's just like um you just find yourself not really caring about going back i did that with uh true detective after what was like the only good episode that i saw (laughs) number the the fourth one controversial shit
1: man if anybody actually listens to this you're in trouble (laughs)
0: I, I watched uh, the first four episodes of that, and the, the ending of that was was great. It was like a Michael Mann movie in like twenty minutes. And then I I wanted to go on to the next one, but I I couldn't because I had to do other things. And then I found myself not actually caring about the characters. I just wanted to mm-hmm. go on because I was like, oh, that part was cool. Um, I did that with HBO's Looking, which is a perfectly fine show, but it's just it it just becomes kind of milk toast after a while, and it's just like, yes, this is fine, but it's not doing anything else for me?
1: yeah just a waste of time um, another thing that makes me really hate Dexter in retrospect um, have any, either of you guys watched the show Hannibal Mm-mm. so it's an NBC show uh, I'm sure the ratings aren't as good I, it's definitely not as popular uh, production value is twice as good uh, it's equally campy and if you just put it on paper it's completely fucking stupid but it works. It's really really well done, really well put together. It's uh very artistic. Like there's all these like surreal moments in it that it it's unlike anything I've ever seen before on television. And it's violent as shit and gory, but in a not in like a you gross out way, like, you know, spewing puke or things like that. It takes these disgusting murders that are committed and it, it turns into this really beautiful huh. thing. It's it's really nice. Uh, for me,
2: Hopefully you'll we'll maybe segue No, man, another go ahead. thing that I've given up on, um, at least as far as media is concerned, uh, Patton Oswalt and his Twitter account.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a good thing to give up Recently on. Recently
2: unfound, and part of that, and part of the reason why I've kind of refrained from watching Hannibal at this point is because I was so tired oh, of gosh. him going on Twitter and just tweeting something like, oh my god, Hannibal! Or like, just the new blurb. Did you just see that? Oh my god! True <laughs> detective! Like, you're not telling us anything. And he's he became such an asshole. Yeah, and yeah. it's like a hybrid of him just like saying, "Aren't I great and clever?" And uh, holy shit, you should watch Hannibal or Orange is the New Black, or or fill in, Downton think, Abbey. He was he was big yeah. on that for a while
1: too. Just
0: fill in any prestige show. Yeah, and, pretty much. Yeah. that's how it works. It, it, it was pretty much like a um, what are those uh, tweets that are um, by companies.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Sponsored tweets. Sponsored tweets. Sponsored tweet from Pat Patnazz. Maybe he's getting kickbacks like the YouTube people. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's a very good example. Jesus Christ. Uh, Moving on from TV shows, um,
0: I recently uh, checked out the new Leaky Lee. I believe is how you pronounce her name. Is it like Licky Lee? Licky Lee. Like Licky Lee. Like I
1: Think I'm a. That's a little bit close. Something. <laughs> The girl with the <laughs> L's and the K's in her name, you know. Anyway, so, so, <laughs> oh,
0: gosh. Um, so I I, I was going to check out her new album, and uh, bef- before I started listening to it, I kind of asked myself why. Uh, I don't really listen to her music anymore. Um, I have her first two albums, and, I, and I, I care for them, especially the first one was solid. Maybe the second one I didn't care about as much, but I, I thought it showed potential and nice production and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it really did make me think of t- uh, like a TV show where something like, I don't know, The Office that uh, I was really connected to for a while and then kind of grew apart and stopped watching, whatever. Maybe I'll go back to it like I did with The Office. But yeah. um, I started listening to this Leaky Lee album and I, I couldn't listen to the whole thing for something that would seemingly be very inoffensive um, it was sort of unlistenable for me, mm-hmm. and uh, it was kind of weird where you feel you feel like an attachment just because you used to like it, and they keep making things, and it's very much like a TV show where you're like, ah, yeah, I'm going to finish it because, you know, I've come this far and things like that where it's just kind of like not worth it but anymore. But it feels
1: more like work than enjoyment. Right. Um, well, and music is interesting because uh, I think when you're younger... You haven't heard a lot of things, so you do hear something. You're like, "Wow, this is so different. This is so new," but then if you listen to a lot of music for 10, 15 years, eventually you're like, "Everything kind of sounds the same." So it takes it takes more for something to be special enough to be like, "Oh, okay, I want to come back to this again." Um, a great example too, where you were talking about how uh, you, you felt like it was work, and how you had to listen to her because you liked her her past work. Uh, fucking Radiohead, Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, and. I'm sure. I'm sure Radiohead doesn't make bad albums at this. Not that I know, because I, I didn't. I listened to was it Phantom Limbs or something? I had King of Limbs, Phantom, you know, like the King, the King of Phan- Phantom, Phantom uh, Planet. Yeah, Shins, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. there's another band. Actually, now that you say it, uh, <laughs> what a segue. Yeah, that was good. But, <laughs> anyways, I'm sure that album's fine. In Rainbows is fine. There's songs on there that are not horribly offensive I just don't give a fuck what the fuck are you doing at this point that's interesting or different and if you look at their career trajectory like if you look at um, in retrospect The bends to OK Computer to like you know Kid A Amnesiac um, I can say well I you know I love those albums and part of it, I'm sure was because I was in high school and it was just like oh my god uh, but at the same time there's clear jumps there's evolution and everything is good and it's different it's own, it's own unique thing but it's still them Whereas, everything since 2004, so we've got a solid decade here of Radiohead doing shit that sounds exactly the same that I don't give a fuck about. Tom York yeah. wailing over a drum machine. <laughs> fuck off. I don't care.
0: Yeah, I don't even think I got around to listening to King of Phantom Lin. King of Phantom But I, what uh, you're talking about, sort of like their, their whole uh, catalog, it, it makes me think that a lot of this is just like uh, sort of our obsession with Constructing narratives with these things, where we have to we have to talk about the the author all the time and mm-hmm. and think of like this you know this arc of their career, and it's really it, it's unnecessary.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steve, what do we got for music? Um, Radiohead's actually there, <laughs> too, but um, I would go with Flaming Lips for me. That's a good oh one yeah too. yeah. yeah
1: Similar thing to Radiohead too, where it's like the last couple albums, I don't really give a fuck. Well, that
2: and just, like, all of the gimmicky bullshit that they have to do between yeah, albums. Yeah, 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 <laughs> no, Don't even, catch. Jesus. <laughs> well, I think, like, they made a big, um... Took a big step back with that war with the Mystics, which was the album that followed Yoshimi, Battles, Big mm-hmm. Robots. Um, like, it just... It wasn't... There wasn't enough there to sustain a full-length album. Mm-hmm. And, like, everything they've done since then, if it's between albums or, like, releasing gummy gummy skulls with like a you know a 24 hour song yeah and it's just it's getting
1: really annoying and their their entire like everything they put out now it's it's just like an extension of the clear hamster ball mm-hmm. that they did <laughs> it's like what yeah.
2: stupid wacky thing of the flame lips gonna do now and, uh-huh. and it's crazy though because like it was really exciting because I mean and I don't think anybody paid attention in the 80s when there's like a bunch of burnouts who are doing psychedelic books. yeah 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 but then, like, in the 90s, like, they got really interesting, and there was this clear evolution, and it led to the Soft Bulletin, which, like, I don't think anybody saw that coming from them. No. And uh, Yoshimi was a very good follow-up to that. Mm-hmm. And, you now it's Nothing. just kind of like, it's all distorted bullshit.
1: I, uh last Flaming Lips album that I bought was, they put out something on a record store day like, three years ago, and it's, like, a quadruple album. Zorica? In... Yeah, it's kind of like Zurika. It's the same thing, where it's just them, like... Rubbing their genitals on a glockenspiel for six hours or something. I don't fucking know. It's <laughs> um, one song. Well, I'm, I'm glad though because I never opened it, um, and now it's worth a lot of money. So I think I'm going to sell it and buy something I give a fuck about. <laughs> yeah,
2: I think it's still like worth seeing them live if you haven't seen them, right? Before. Yeah, I They're agree. Fun. But once you've done it once, it's kind of like
1: all right, yeah. I'm glad I saw what like I saw the- him. I saw them Coachella like ten years ago. That's all I need. He did. He did the, the hamster ball. He. Pour blood on himself and sang happy birthday I got the whole song and dance that's, that's right. all I
0: need yeah, um, and before we move on from music another thing um, that this brings up is solo careers mm-hmm. where uh, you're attached to a band that uh, you know, you've listen to for a long time and then they break up and then you have the, the lead singer or some other solo artist uh, break out and go on to their own um, and one that I can think of is Stephen Malcolmus of Pavement who has quite a large solo career now. Uh, it's larger than Pavement's um, yep. catalog at this point. And for a while, it was, like, uh, it, w- it, was it was a nice supplement for uh, Pavement's work, but it's sort of like every album that comes out, it's sort of exhausting to even try and go back and listen to it and get into it, because it mm-hmm. sort of takes a lot, and it's not always worth it. There's a good song here or there, but
1: yeah. Yeah, I think you could take every Stephen Malcolmist slash Stephen Malcolmist and the Jigs record from past 10 years or so and if you, you could probably take like one or two tracks from each one and make a decent album out of it because mm-hmm. that's that's how it feels It's just like oh there's a couple good tracks on here and then everything else will be,
0: yeah and, and you know some of the style from pavement um, is still
1: there but it, you know
0: it's it's not always like i said worth it
1: yep yep uh, i was thinking of uh, bob pollard and guided by voices too that's another th- or uh frank black and the uh pixies yeah. Which, I, I don't know if I can say that anymore, because the last Pixies album, but, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about that one! <laughs> Holy shit. S- sting. Sting! <laughs> you, don't like, you don't like Desert Rose, you <laughs> son of a bitch? Yeah. <laughs> a dream of rain! Sorry. I think it's just always the
2: stuff that, like... It's easy to throw Sting under the bus, I don't even know why I mentioned it, but, yeah, like... Uh... Um, well, I just watched Urg A Music War, which is a a documentary from the early 80s where all these, like, post-punk new wave bands, it's just concert clips. And the police are on there twice, and it's kind of, like, right before they really broke out into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. But, like, they were really, they were cool. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. were really good. <laughs> and it's, like, shortly before Synchronicity came out and they got all Stingified, and then Fields to Gold and all that bullshit. And it's kind of like, wow, like, if you would have stayed on that Trajectory, Like, we would be talking about Sting in a totally different way right now.
1: Hmm. That's too bad. Speaking of the 70s and (laughs) 80s... What if Sting was
2: cool? I do not
1: know the kind of world that would be. I don't
0: know. That reminds me of uh, David Byrne's career. How do you feel about his solo career?
2: I think I'm in the minority. I really have enjoyed a lot of his solo career. Not all of it, because it's kind of like with Steve like It's almost exhausting, because there's a lot more talking head stuff. But... Um, I think that it kind of tells the line, I think, where you're kind of reminded of why you like David Byrne and Talking Heads mm-hmm. in the first place, but, like, he's still doing interesting stuff. He's not compromising his art, his artistic quality or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did I say that weird? <laughs> um, just thinking We understand the, you, Stephen. Just you thinking of
0: George Costanza. Yeah. Artistic integrity.
2: Oh, artistic integrity, yeah. Um... And, like, I saw David Byrne solo live. It was ten years ago already, but it was honestly the best show I've ever been to. Hmm. And part of that was because I wound up enjoying the David Byrne solo stuff that he was doing. I think that album he just did with St. Vincent, like, two years Mm -hmm. ago. I thought that was really good.
1: Well, and that brings up a good point, too, where a lot of times with solo records from people from famous bands like Frontman Frontman or whatever you think it's just going to be a continuation like they're the driving force behind a band like Pavement or the Pixies or something like that and what you end up getting is a a watered down version of that or they just fly off the fucking handle because there's no one standing next to them going no don't do that do this Mm -hmm. Um, and David Byrne's a good example because uh, you brought up the St. Vincent album which I don't even like St. Vincent that much and I I've heard Jackson that it's, it's good it's good mm-hmm. and he did a record with Brian Eno like oh yeah a couple of years ago with, uh, Brian Oh, that that's was, yeah, that's a really good record it's amazing because it's not just David Byrne you know sitting around in the studio going up. I'm going to
2: do whatever the fuck I
1: want it's mm-hmm. Eno going no don't do that oh, that's my Brian I don't know if that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's more collaborative now than he
2: was when he was in Talking Heads when he just kind of like took right. things over mm-hmm. um so yeah like he's still producing good work some of it like the solo albums I think that are just him and name get a little long so yeah. it's kind of like he has like maybe five good songs but he records 15
1: yeah yeah, yeah. But. Huh. Uh, how about how about books Is
0: there any books you've given up on uh, there are more books than I would care to name <laughs> uh, but what this brings to it's mind more
1: educated Sean <laughs>
0: What, what this brings to mind is, is uh, not a book I've given up on, but rather a book I wish I would have given up on, uh, <clears throat> which was The Brothers Karamazov, um, a book that I, well, I had read uh, Crime and Punishment, and I loved it. It's one of my favorite books. And then, so I was like, okay, this is supposed to be the masterwork. So I read that, and, you know, it's like a thousand pages or whatever it is. And I don't, I don't know that I actually enjoyed any of it. Um, for a while, I was sort of waiting to enjoy it mm-hmm. um, but it was it was constantly for the months that I spent reading that it was I need to finish this just to say that I did read it yeah yeah, and it, it becomes this sense of like pride and um, trying to accrue um, cultural capital where you want to say oh well i 've read this, um, <clears throat> and I know i 've sat through far too many films that I couldn 't care less about by the end of it, but I just wanted to have that read or have that scene
1: yeah uh and that's uh, one of the books i gave up on was uh i gave up on gravity's rainbow and i got about 200 pages in and i asked my roommate who had finished it i was like this is going nowhere like is this going to be a thing it's supposed to be like the greatest book of the 20th century and all this bullshit is this is it going to pick up around the 800 page mark or what's what's going on and his answer was well there's some ups there's some downs it's uh, it's pretty good (laughs) That's, that's not enough because 800-page book, that's that's an investment, especially when right. it's Thomas Pinchon I mean, Jesus, it's not exactly an easy read. Um, books are easy to give up on because right. it's such an investment.
0: And In a discipline.
1: Yeah. Uh, other things I don't give up on because... I always get this and this is really stupid and childish of me I can't let the media beat me like I can't let (laughs) I can't let the bad movie win I can't let the uh, you know the bad album win I have to listen all the way through Hmm. Uh, and and this is I've watched so many bad horror movies just an exhausting amount of bad horror movies I've sat through things that no man should ever sit through Um, and the only reason that I did was because it's like this is a pile of shit I have to see it through to the end I can't let it I can't let it beat me you know uh, I watched a movie called uh, Roller Gator one time, <laughs> and it's from a, a director who, uh, there's okay, so a little background here. During the 1980s, there was a production company called Full Moon, and they were kind of like Troma. They did the uh, Puppet Master series, and they put out a bunch of B-movie trash, so whatever. Uh, they also had movies that they made that were children's movies, so it was like B-movie children's? shit. So there was one called, like, Dinosauria. I don't know if you remember that from when you were a kid. You might have rented it at Blockbuster. But it's about this kid and he finds these, like, miniature, like, handheld T-Rexes and they go on adventures. Uh, I think they put out Munchie. Do you remember Munchie? Oh, Munchie, of course. Lonnie yeah. Anderson, right? There you go, Munchie. <laughs> so, Roller Gators, in that vein, where it's, it's clearly a made-for-no-money B-movie, but it's for children. So, it, it's kind of double bad, because, I mean, a bad horror movie is one thing. A bad kids movie is just that is that is the absolute lowest low. So this movie, it stars a Baldwin that isn't a famous Baldwin. It's like the least famous Baldwin, I think. Or no, it's not a Baldwin. Who the fuck is Oh, it's Joe fucking Estevez. That's oh, who it is. Yeah. <laughs> Joe motherfucking Estevez. Um, so it's got Joe Estevez and no one. And it's just about this little purple alligator that hangs out in this girl's backpack while she rollerblades. And Joe Estevez is trying to get the Purple Alligator because, of course. And not only is it bad, but there's this horrible acoustic guitar music. And the clip is about 10 seconds long. And it sounds like stock shit from GarageBand. They clearly didn't pay any money for it. And it loops and loops and loops and loops. And it never ends. From the opening credits (laughs) to the closing credits. A full 90 minutes of acoustic guitar looping. It's just painful. And I didn't shut it off. And there was no... Why, why in God's name would I sit through that? Well, <clears throat> that's What's wrong well uh, with me? Sean, please <laughs> <lies> analyze me. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: you saying like you don't want to let the film win. It also reminds me of people who uh, pay for a movie and they don't want to walk out because they want to get their money's worth. Whatever mm. that means. Uh, the only movie that I've paid for that I've walked out of was Wild Wild West. <clears throat> <clears throat> you don't like spider monsters? <laughs> um, but, you know, in, within the past couple of years, I sat through the entirety av- and paying for Identity Thief.
2: God, Jesus. I,
0: I, you know, I obviously wish I would have walked out. If you get out of the film before you see Melissa McCarthy cry sincerely in that movie, you win. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so what you're telling me is you
2: didn't see Tammy. Is
1: that what
2: you're saying? <laughs> you is anybody Tammy? out there is about to go see Tammy, just keep that in mind. <laughs> just...
0: I'd, ra- I'd rather watch Wild Wild West three times right now than watch. Identity I, I would agree with that. I would rather
1: be locked in a room watching Wild Wild West <laughs> on a loop than watch fucking Identity Thief. What a goddamn train wreck. Yeah. Um, yeah so I guess we're running we're a little close on time. So let's real quick let's run through some of the new stuff on the website, stuff that we're working on. Um, I guess I'll go first because I got shit up right now. Because uh, you guys are a bunch of slackers. Uh. <laughs> no, I, th- these, these both have. They both have real things to do in life. so (laughs) (laughs) I've gotten things done because I'm doing nothing right now. Uh, Anyways, I put up an article a couple weeks ago about the game E.T. the Extraterrestrial for the Atari 2600. It's widely considered the worst video game of all time, and my argument is that's bullshit. It's not a bad game. Uh, It was horribly, horribly underrated. It was way ahead of its time. It's just been shit on all its life, and it shouldn't be, and you should read that. Uh, I also have a 60-second review up for the game Shovel Knight, which is available on the 3DS, the Wii U, and PC, I think. It's uh, like a retro-style platformer game. It's a lot of fun. It's pretty good. I'd recommend checking it out. Uh, I just saw Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I might do a 60 seconds on that. I haven't decided yet. It's pretty good. Uh, Worst theater experience I've ever had? Dawn. Uh, Rise, Dawn, whatever. The fucking the monkey one that's new. Uh, oh, <laughs> in the movie, the monkeys. You know, uh, Dunstan checks in. Uh, <laughs> most valuable primate. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 monkey trouble. Uh, Anything else? Mighty Joe Young. Mighty Joe Young.
0: Thank Mighty you. Joe. Anyway, how many of those was Jason Alexander in?
1: Probably trivia question. That's that's. How do you know the answer? <laughs> no. Okay. Ed. Ed. Ed is a good one. Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> So, uh, the, just, just the real quick, when, uh, when I was in the theater, we went at like three in the afternoon, so that means no one should be there except the movie was sold out for God knows why. There was a fucking infant in the theater. Like, and I, I'm not exaggerating, like this thing was straight out the womb, just <laughs> tiny, and screaming. And fucking yeah it was, it was fucking so fucking it was weird it was just well maybe I, you know I, I wouldn't think that that had been developed enough at this point but there it was gyrating out a popcorn barrel it was really weird it just
0: maybe the parents had already fandangoed the tickets uh-huh and they just they couldn't and
2: then they yeah they had the child and had it's like the, listen we're having this child about three months but it's the movie's it's, it's out. coming out i'm not missing it <laughs> love the first one uh
1: so there was an infant and you know what let's let's excuse the infant because you're an idiot and (laughs) at least the kid isn't bored because the kid doesn't know what the fuck's going on uh there was not one not two probably a half dozen like toddler age children like somewhere between two and five just in this movie those are the best years yeah they're, they're great they're wonderful people to have in a film uh, you know, try, try and enjoy a little a little monkey action, and uh, I, I can't because I've got kids crawling all over the place and screaming their head off. Uh, so maybe, maybe you're a great parent and you sat down with your two-year-old child and you explained, you know, talk about violence and how monkeys <laughs> aren't really scary and they're not going to take over the world, and you did all these things, so it's okay to bring your kid to Planet of the Apes. That's fine. Here's the problem. 80% of the dialogue in that movie, it's subtitled. Because the monkeys, they grunt and they do hand gestures, and I mean, the only one who really talks is Caesar, and then that's that's about it. So your kid can't fucking read, I can tell you that. Probably. Uh, so of course they're going to be bored because there's there's a few really great action scenes, but like the whole middle is just you know monkeys saying, "Not all ape good, some ape bad. Not all human bad, some human good." But in subtitles, kids can't read shit, so they're just going nuts. So that was my theater experience. and the, Oh, and there was also a woman who laughed at everything. <laughs> everything. Every time a fucking gorilla would come on screen, she'd be like, Ah!
0: <laughs> yeah, all of probably my worst theater experiences have been somebody like that. That's, mm-hmm. that's the worst for me. Yeah, that's pretty rough.
1: So I saw that. I might do a review. If I don't do a review on that, I'm going to do one on Obvious Child, which I'm seeing tomorrow. So uh, we'll see whichever the one I feel like talking about, I guess. Uh, Sean, what are you, what are you doing? Uh,
0: well, like I said earlier, um, my... Academy for the Underrated, True Lies, 20th anniversary piece, should be up um, the 17th of July tomorrow. Um, Other than that, I think I might try to do a piece that um, speaks to my love for doo-wop music, Um, probably just like a favorite doo-wop songs, a couple paragraphs here and there, something fairly light.
2: Good stuff. Steve, what are you doing? Right now, I'm in the midst of uh, working on a piece about Taco uh, the uh, one-hit wonder from the '80s who does "Putting on the Ritz." <laughs> um, I'm not really going to spend too much time talking about "Putting on the Ritz," but like I've always been fascinated by him as a character because I, you know, he literally just disappears from the scene, and he's fucking creepy as hell. He's very creepy, very um, creepy, and really hard to track down research on. So I'm trying to figure out like who this fucking guy is, and I have a few videos I'm going to be sharing. Like he wrote like an anti chirogenic song what
1: is that a problem is that something
2: we need to address apparently like that's like it was the big thing he did after fucking putting on the ritz don't freeze me baby is that (laughs) it's called super physical resurrection wow um that's with a really bizarre music video that sounds like a dc comic angle or something and i also like not to Harp on this too much, but there's the Putting on the Brits music video. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the version that went out to US audiences on MTV was edited. I didn't realize how heavily edited this music video is, but there's that line in the song where he's like, trying hard to look like Gary Cooper. And they're like zooming in on an actual picture of Gary Cooper. It always seemed very <laughs> odd. Yeah. That's because in the actual music video, which was produced in Germany, when they do, like, that Gary Cooper super-duper line, they actually have two minstrel dancers, like, in blackface. Oh. Oh. Oh, And then there's a whole scene where they have the minstrels just, like, tap dancing in the music video. And if you see the American edited version, you realize there's this really awkward zoom-in on Taco. While he's singing a certain line, there's, like, clearly stuff being cut off, like, to the right of him. Oh. And it's because...
1: There's minstrels dancing behind him. Because blackface. Yeah. Well, we uh, oh, you say you're having trouble with research, so you know if, if you're a non-edible taco scholar uh, and you want to help Steve out, I guess you can shoot him an email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love That'd non- be a good career. Not, yeah, non-edible taco scholars. Non-edible scholars. <laughs> well, once, once I finish my master's degree, I hope to become an edible scholar. I'm going to change <laughs> my, uh, my body into mayonnaise. Uh, on that note, I guess that pretty much wraps it up for this week. We'll be back hopefully in two weeks. That's the plan, I think. Uh, unless something interesting happens. But nothing's fucking going on right now. So, uh yeah. I'm Steve, and this is the other Steve. That's, that's Sean right there. And, uh...